Well, this evening, I appreciate you, your patience and waiting as it's, we've had a few interruptions along the way, but we're actually completing our section on religious worship in the Sabbath day, chapter 21 of the Westminster Confession of Faith. Uh, we are completing part two of our supplemental series. Last week, uh, we studied why we have exclusive psalmody in worship. And tonight, we're going to continue in the handout that I gave you on why we sing without instruments, uh, what we call a cappella worship. And the Bible verse that I'd like to draw your attention to, which we studied last time, was, is Ephesians 5, verse 19. So you can really look to this verse for both exclusive psalmody and a cappella worship. The first part, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Uh, Last week we saw that that was referring to the Psalter. Those are all parts, those are all references to the Psalms in the Old Testament. And uh, so I won't rehash that. Uh, This week we look at the next part, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Now as we look at this and we look at the Greek and we look at a lot of context, we're going to understand why in the New Testament dispensation, after Christ has come, and the Holy Spirit is poured out in a special way, according to the prophecies, our hearts are now the instruments of praise. And that allows the church to expand anywhere across the world, of course, a lot easier than if you were to try to maintain the, the temple system. So speaking and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Recognize this is a command. It's not a suggestion. It's not one of the options. So sing the Psalms and praise God with your heart. Okay? So that's going to be our main reference. I'm going to have others along the way, but we are in the special supplement. Uh, It's page five of that supplement, so it doesn't follow the page numbers of the regular class notes. And it is, uh, does anybody need a copy? I didn't, I don't know if I mentioned to bring it from last week. Does anybody need a copy? Okay, okay, good job. Okay, so acapella worship, page five of the special handout. Acapella worship, okay. So first of all, acapella. Almost sounds like a place in Mexico to me. What's <laughs> Acapulco? Acapella worship, that's Latin. And what it means is in the manner of the chapel. Acapella actually means in the manner of the chapel or in the manner of the church. So what it means is when they say in the Latin at that time, sing like the church, they're referring to the fact that the church did not use instruments. Okay. It was so, so common and understood that the church did not use instruments in worship that to say sing like the church, a cappella meant don't sing with instruments. Okay, so that's actually what it means. Now, during the Renaissance, choral music in church was more popular than instrumental worship, and it was unaccompanied. So when they sang as a choir, they, were, they did not, it was more popular to have it a cappella like the church, no instruments, Okay. Well, just like with singing psalms exclusively, we want to review the church's history because, again, people can tend to act like we're doing something new when, in fact, singing with instruments is actually relatively new. But the church's ancient history from the New Testament onward has been not that, okay? So we want to look at the real, actual history, okay? First of all, in the New Testament, there is no account of singing with instruments, Yes, in the Old Testament there was, but there has been a transition from types to reality. And that's significant. The shadows of the ceremonial system of the tabernacle and the temple have been fulfilled in the coming of Christ and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. And many of the things in the tabernacle and temple no longer continue because they had symbolic, typological 
meaning that has been fulfilled in the coming of Christ. So, for instance, we do not sacrifice animals anymore in worship, although that's mentioned in the Psalms, but we understand their meaning fulfilled in Christ, right? We do not use incense, right? There's a number of different things described, but we don't do these things anymore, although the Catholic Church does, right? They do all that stuff. It's funny how much the Roman Catholic Church resembles the Old Testament tabernacle, right? Uh, but that's all been mostly been fulfilled in Christ. So we'll we'll look at that. So there's no account of singing with instruments in the New Testament. We need to recognize that. Okay, it's kind of I think overlooked. Now we look at Gerardo, uh, John Lafayette Gerardo. Uh, I'm going to mention that in the in the suggested readings. This is the book that I read that convinced me uh, that this is absolutely true, and. Uh, the thing is, you read any of these things, they're very large, thorough works. Remember I mentioned last time his book on instrumental music in the church? It was, it was paid for by a woman uh, who was concerned. All these churches are starting to use instruments. We never use instruments in worship. This is significant. And so a wealthy lady paid him, a seminary professor, to do a very significant work to demonstrate why we never had and we shouldn't. Things are changing. So his book was an, was an argument of why we should not be changing this old path. We should stay the way of the New Testament worship. Okay? So I have Jared Arrow here. He explains instruments, in his book, he explains that instruments first formally come in by the Roman Catholic Church in 1290 AD. That's a long time after the New Testament, right? The New Testament Church did not use instruments in worship until 1290 AD. And where did they start? The Roman Catholic Church. The Roman Catholic Church brings back all kinds of things from the temple because they want to be that priest, right? They want to keep sacrificing Christ. So they bring back all the stuff that is symbolic but is part of the sacramental system. We need to recognize the Reformation wasn't just about justification alone, by faith alone. It was saying we're going back to the worship of the Bible in the New Testament. We're getting rid of all of this Roman Catholic nonsense. And one of those things was instruments. 1290 ADs when it was introduced by the Roman Catholic Church. I want to say again, uh, remember what I gave with an introduction last time. We're not saying that instruments are inherently bad. You know, for instance, we're getting ready for our Puritan feast, and we're, we often like to do entertainment. There's nothing, instruments are wonderful, they're a gift, right? Remember a sermon a while ago, Music and Minister, and we looked at David soothing the evil spirit with Saul with a harp, but it wasn't corporate worship. There's a place for instruments still today, and most of the Reformed people and Puritans and Scottish Presbyterians, they were big musicians, played lots of, they'd get together and have, I don't know if I should say hootenannies, but kind of, <laughs> you know, but they understood the difference between worship and entertainment, something I think the church, modern churches today largely do not understand, which is why a lot of concerts, you try to go to a Christian concert and you, they think it's just worship concert, worship event, right? You know, it's very muddled and confused, Okay. Uh, in the Orthodox Greek Church, notice this, the Orthodox Greek Church, now remember they split in the 10 hundreds over Filioque, although with some other things, but that was the main thing. They split, the Orthodox Greek Church split from the uh, Latin Roman Catholic Church, and they've never rejoined, right? They've never acknowledged the Pope over their church. So they're kind of an ancient experience to point to. They have never used instruments to this day, because they never did, the church never did. Okay. By the way, remember, where was the church largely in the New Testament? Greece, right? Grecian cities and stuff. Okay, So they're closest to the proximity as well as time. Okay, these are just important things to recognize. The Reformers got rid of instruments. When they had the Reformation, they got rid of instruments as a Roman Catholic introduction, bringing back the Old Testament uh, tabernacle system. 
temple system. The Dutch Reformed got rid of organs, not just the Scots. Now, the Presbyterians are the ones that really got most serious about this, and Puritans, uh, following the example of Calvin and others, though. But it's important to recognize that the Dutch Reformed churches, they got rid of the organs originally, uh, because most Dutch Reformed churches today do use, especially an organ. But when the Reformation first happened, they got rid of organs because they recognized the same issue. It just didn't last as long, okay? The famous London Baptist preacher, Charles Spurgeon. Anybody heard of him? You know the name Charles Spurgeon, yeah? <laughs> I was actually surprised that a deacon in a Reformed and Presbyterian church, I wasn't naming a denomination there when I said that. Uh, I think it was this year he said, who's Spurgeon? I was like, wow. <laughs> um, okay, so Charles Spurgeon, pretty significant, major Baptist, Reformed Baptist preacher in London, right? He agreed that instruments were Old Testament temple and like incense and priestly vestments, and they were not to be used now. You can do a Google search on his quotes. Charles Spurgeon understood that was Old Testament ceremonial system, just like, just like incest and just like priestly vestments, and it's gone in the fulfillment of it by Christ and the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to get into scripture on this, but what we first want to see is this is the historical position and practice of the church until recent times introduced by the Catholic Church. And people say the opposite in accusations, but it's out of ignorance, not out of knowledge, not based on facts. This, these are the facts, and we need to know that. Okay? In fact, notice this. I'm quoting Timothy Hamans in his article with the Aquila Report, August 21st, 2012. In his article, he writes this. In fact, up until about 200 years ago, the use of instruments in worship was quite limited to those of the Lutheran and Catholic persuasions. Protestants didn't use instruments for the most part and sang only from the Psalter, which is the actual worship book of the church. For example, the Psalms. But notice what he says. It's only that most of the church, outside of Catholics and some Lutherans, most of the church has never used instruments in worship until about 200 years ago. I, I, I want to take a, a step to the side really quick. This is kind of similar, I would argue, to a lot of feminist issues. Okay? There's a lot of stuff that we think now has always been, but it hasn't been. Only a hundred years ago, a couple hundred years ago, has, has there been a major shift and a lot of things that also relate to church. But, you know, how, how many of you are 100 years old? Anyone? Anyone? Fernanda? Just kidding. <laughs> she raised her hand. Not to slap me. We're kind of joking. You're not 100 years old, Gabriel. Gabriel is insisting that we're going to have a dinosaur birthday for mommy's 40th birthday. He doesn't understand. He just thinks, why wouldn't she want a dinosaur birthday cake? I mean, that's just logical, right? He's like, oh, yeah. And when I said, that's perfect. She's turning 40. We're going to have a dinosaur birthday. That's perfect. You know? But here's my point. Any of you even, oh, I know some of you have been around a while, more than the 50 mark, but anybody 100? No. So my point is, we're not, we don't, we're not really that old compared to history. It's only been a couple hundred years, a couple generations. A couple generations ago, you'd walk into a Protestant church and no one would be expecting instruments and no one would be using them. But we don't understand that because of our modern reference point based also on ignorance. Just like I said last week, I always thought everybody did Christmas. No, no, everybody doesn't do Christmas. That is not something. The Christmas is a Catholic thing, bringing in a whole lot of syncretism with worldly things. But no, that's not something the Bible tells us. But everybody does it, so I never think to question it. 
It's amazing how our experience, again, can prejudice our understanding of the scriptures. And frankly, we've got to be careful not to be anachronistic again. Just because almost every church today uses instruments doesn't mean that's the way it used to be. If we want to argue that, we are ignorant. It's not the facts. Whether we come to a conclusion it's correct or biblical, the fact is the church until the last couple hundred years has not, in Protestant churches, used instruments. And it was introduced by the Roman Catholic Church in the 1200s. We just need to know these facts. Okay? I think it's significant as we consider the deeper issues, the more biblical recognition of things. So I'm on the second part of page five here. Understanding the Old Testament worship types and signs as fulfilled in Christ. So we're going to talk about typology here. One of the things I think is so important to understand is typology. Do you know what typology is? Can anybody remind me what a type is? A pattern. A pattern, yeah. Hebrews talks about it with a, with a word that starts with the letter S. H. A. D. Shadows, yeah. <laughs> shadows fulfilled in Christ. Now think about this. I think that's a helpful image. The shadow on the ground, smaller, actually comes, if you look up, follow the shadow to the actual real person, right? And things in the Old Testament are often types. They are shadows of the reality of Christ when he comes and the Holy Spirit, okay? Or sometimes of the church or like the promised land of the Old Testament is a type of heaven, okay? So in Romans chapter 5, remember in chapter 7 of the confession, we studied covenant theology. And we recognized in Romans chapter 5, it says that Adam was a type, literally in the Greek, tupas. He was a type of Christ. And there was a parallel comparison of figure or headship but then there was the, a type is always smaller than the antitype. A type is always representing the antitype, the true thing, but the true thing is much more than the shadow, okay? So we need to recognize the entire Old Testament system were shadows and types. Can you think of an example related to Jesus and an animal? What's a type in the Old Testament ceremonial system? Lamb. Right, a lamb. They sacrificed the lamb, shed the blood to atone for sin, Right? What does John the Baptist say when he sees Jesus the first time? Behold. Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. But is Jesus a literal lamb? No, but he is the true lamb, right? The Old Testament lambs were types, shadows of the reality of Christ. What does uh, the letter to the Hebrews say of Jesus in the, book, in the book of Hebrews? Jesus is what in the temple? You got an idea, Gabriel? The answer is not dinosaurs. Something else. What's your idea? I'll give you an idea. What do we hang on your windows in your bedroom? Curtains? Yeah. yeah. So what's another thing the letter of the Hebrews tells us Jesus is? He is the veil of the Old Testament uh, temple. He's not literally the veil, but he's the true veil, right? Because what happened when Jesus died on the cross? The veil was torn from top to bottom in the temple, showing that the real way to God has been offered. Jesus is the true veil, not literal material, but he's the true veil into the true holy of holies with God in heaven, you see? So topology is huge in scripture. It's always pointing us to these great realities in Christ. And we need to recognize that as we study what is the point of instruments and their typology, okay? So understanding the Old Testament worship types and signs as fulfilled in Christ. When Moses was first given the tabernacle commands, was Exodus 25 to 29, no musical instruments are mentioned. 
We just need to pay attention to these things. Probably we just always assume it. When Moses was given the tabernacle commands for worship in Exodus 25 to 29, there was never any comment about instruments. No commands to use instruments. Now, next bullet point. Only trumpets are later mentioned. Abraham's probably like, woohoo, he likes playing trumpet. Although it wouldn't have been the same exact trumpet. Only trumpets are later mentioned, and they were not for accompanying singing. Numbers 10, verses 12 and following says they were for calling assemblies and calling to arms. Also, in terms of the tabernacle, they were to be blown over the burnt offerings. Numbers 10, verse 10. It was Old Testament ceremony. But notice, when you finally hear about trumpets and numbers, it was like we kind of use our fake bell to announce it's time for worship. Think of the shofar, right? It was about calling people to come and assemble. It wasn't within the worship, right? It was an announcement to come, or sometimes a calling to arms. Hey, boys, what's a calling to arms mean? Coming to war, yeah, right? We, we have the phrase in our, uh, in our Constitution, the right to bear arms. It doesn't mean you have the right to short sleeves. <laughs> it means you have the right. <laughs> Thanks for bearing with my bad jokes. Don't laugh or I'll keep telling bad jokes. Um, it's the right to have your own gun or weapons, right? And so a calling to arms, the blowing of the trumpets was come to worship or assemble for war. And the one time we see it in Numbers 10, verse 10, it is blowing over the burnt offerings. Folks, do you recognize that? There's a connection of blowing the trumpets with the offering of the burnt offerings. Are we still to be doing burnt offerings in worship? Do you see how connected this is? We're going to keep seeing this, okay? In 2 Chronicles chapter 5, verses 12 through 13, the priests play instruments while bringing the ark into the temple for dedication. This was not the same as corporate worship we are speaking of. Similarly, singing on the other side of the Red Sea in Exodus 15 was national rejoicing, not corporate tabernacle worship. Sometimes you see some kind of a music and instruments and something going on, but we need to recognize that Israel was a state church. They were also a nation. And so when they crossed to the Red Sea, they weren't in a formal worship service. They were rejoicing just as we might after victory in war with instruments you know, Miriam pearls up the tambourine dancing. There's a lot of things you have to be careful about. If you want to argue that's a worship, then you have to think about all the other aspects of it we would not normally want to recognize as something that would be in worship, okay? Um, no instruments are mentioned in worship until David. That's a long time. First Chronicles 23, verses 1 to 6, and First Chronicles 28, 11 to 13, and 19. That is the first time we see anything mentioned about instruments in worship. And when they're there, we need to recognize when they are used and when they are not. Therefore, what is their typological purpose? Okay? <clears throat> now, I want you to turn with me in your Bibles, please. We're going to look at something here significant. Second Chronicles chapter 29. Again, this is right after... Uh, not long after, the first time we see anything about instruments significant within temple worship. First Chronicles chapter 29. Oh, did I? Sorry, Second Chronicles, yep. Just testing you, you passed the test. No, just kidding. Thank you. Second Chronicles. Chapter 29. Sorry, I need a few minutes to get there. I've got to get my prescription changed. Ah. Okay. Okay, 2 Chronicles chapter 29, verses 25 through 27. We might look at its broader context, but that's the first thing I want you to see. Okay, 
Second Chronicles chapter 29, verses 25 to 27. And he set the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals, with psalteries, and with harps. By the way, when you see that word psalteries, children, it's not talking about the psalter, it's an old instrument. Uh, and with harps, according to the commandment of David and of Gad, the king's seer, and Nathan the prophet, for so was the commandment of the Lord by his prophets. And the Levites stood with the instruments of David and the priests with the trumpets. And Hezekiah commanded to offer the burnt offering upon the altar. And when the burnt offering began, the song of the Lord began also with the trumpets, and with the instruments ordained by David, king of Israel. So what are we seeing here? There is a sacrifice being offered, and during that time of singing, you've got to recognize it's not quite the same as it is here today, but during that time of singing, they are using instruments during the sacrifice, the animal sacrifice. Okay. Now, instrumental music, back to the notes, was never involved with singing until David received divine commandment to introduce setting up the temple by Solomon. So we need to recognize, oh, sorry, did I skip some things there? No, okay. Um, we're going to come back to this chapter in a moment. So we want to recognize, this is the first time we see any commandment to use instruments in worship, which is why it's the only time it first happens. Until God commands something, you don't do it. And if God fulfills something, you don't do it anymore, you don't do it. Right? Okay. Now, next bullet. See how the use of priestly instruments stop after the animal sacrifice is completed while singing yet continues unaccompanied. You might say a cappella. Okay? So I want to point out, we just looked at Second Chronicles 29, verses 25 to 27, and what you see there is while they are having an animal sacrifice, they are using instruments. My professor in seminary, I don't know that you can prove this from the scriptures, but he suggests probably to try to help you not hear all of the animals' noises while they're being slaughtered. Wouldn't be very pleasant, right? Okay. Uh, now, but notice, once the animal sacrifice is completed, there is no more instruments with the singing because there's no more sacrifice of the animal. Second Chronicles 29, verses 28 to 30. And all the congregation worshipped, and the singers sang, and the trumpeters sounded, and all this continued until the burnt offering was finished. And when they had made an end of the offering, the king and all that were present with him bowed themselves and worshipped. Moreover, Hezekiah the king and the princes commanded the Levites to sing praise unto the Lord with the words of David and of Asaph the seer. And they sang praises with gladness, and they bowed their heads and worshipped. By the way, when it says sing the songs of David and Asaph, those are like the authors of the psalms, right? <laughs> sing those psalms God ordained and uh, inspired through them. Okay, but do you see that after the sacrifice was completed, there were no more instruments. There's a direct connection to the use of instruments and the sacrifice of animals. Do we still sacrifice animals in worship? I don't think anybody wants to argue for that. And if you did, I don't think I could do it. I can't imagine being a Levite. <laughs> you know, I, I don't even want to know where my chicken comes from. <laughs> you know what I mean? But um, no, you know, we, that we understand all those things of the Old Testament system are fulfilled in Christ. This is a pretty important scripture, folks. We just need to know our Bibles and understand typology and how the Old Testament was setting up the new. Okay, so for instance, there's no temple anymore. Jesus predicted in Matthew 23 and following, it'd be gone. 
because now he's going to spread his church throughout the world. It's a lot easier to spread a church throughout the world when it is not dependent in one place or a big building as the only place you can worship. But when the temple of the Holy Spirit is now God's people and they can advance and convert throughout all the world, you can worship anywhere. We do not have to be in this building. We don't need a building to worship. We are the temple. It's convenient. It's a circumstance, not an element. We are the element. We are the temple of God. Okay, and in San Diego, you can almost get away with it <laughs> as long as you have shade, right, and trees. But um, you know, other places, you know, it's a lot better to have shelter, right? But you don't have to have it to be a church. Okay, um, I'm not arguing other things. People have concerns with certain kinds of house churches. That's not what I'm talking about. The truth is, the building is not the people because the building is gone. That was temporary, pointing ahead, right? All the things going on in that building mostly are gone. We don't do all of those things. And in this case, you see very clearly that the sacrifice was connected to the instruments and the instruments were connected to the sacrifice. We are not Roman Catholics. We do not believe that Jesus Christ is continuing to be sacrificed when we have the Lord's Supper, right? This is not an altar. What is it? A table of remembrance, right? We don't believe we're still having some kind of an aspect of regularly sacrificing Christ. What did Jesus say? It is finished, right? There's no sacrifice in Christian worship, Protestant worship. Therefore, there's no instruments which was connected to it. Okay? We're going to cover more. Let me get back to the bullets. No instruments were used in the synagogue worship. Okay, what are the synagogues? Do you remember what they are separate from the temple? When the churches worshipped when they were not at temple, and much was the model of New Testament worship. So the synagogues, remember, that's where Paul went. That's where Jesus went. That's where they went to preach, right? And only places like Philippi where there wasn't a synagogue, oh, they find some God-fearers at the, at the, at the river, right? They find like, uh, oh, help me, not Priscilla, um, Lydia, right? But wherever there's a synagogue, that's where they usually go. Now, the synagogues were not the temple. This is because the Jews were dispersed all over the Grecian and Roman world, and they couldn't get back to the temple all the time because worship had to be in the temple, remember? Remember the rules of the Old Testament? They had to come to Jerusalem. They had to make their offices in Jerusalem. They couldn't go to the one, what was it, Jeroboam made, I think, right? They had to go to the true temple, okay? But now as they've been dispersed, they need regular place to gather and worship. And what do they do in the synagogues? Very similar to what we do now in the New Testament worship. They didn't have instruments, and they don't have instruments in Jewish synagogues, generally still today. They did not use instruments. Why? Because it wasn't the temple, and there were no animal sacrifices, so they sang the psalms, but they did not use instruments because it wasn't the temple. Now notice this, back to the notes. Until the 19th century, Orthodox Jews did not use instruments. Some still do not. It's only in the 19th century that Jews ever used instruments in the synagogues. And they, the synagogue was the model of Christian worship. That's where they came out of first, remember? The first half of the book of Acts is a whole bunch of Jews coming to the king of the Jews. They reached them in the synagogues, and they worshipped in the synagogues. There was still an overlap with going to the temple until it was destroyed. They are led by a cantor. You know what a cantor is? I had a friend in, in Pittsburgh. He actually gave me my job, my first job in Pittsburgh. His father was a cantor. It's kind of like a presenter. They sang. They led the singing. They led the singing. A male singer... Uh, instruments were only in the temple where the animal sacrifices were made. The temple is now gone. The synagogue grew out of the need to gather and study in dispersion, exile, but it would never execute temple functions, such as musical instruments. You did not sacrifice animals in the synagogues. 
That was never commanded. Synagogues weren't even technically commanded. It was an accommodation for being dispersed away from the temple in foreign lands. They never did anything that would only be done in the temple. Dr. James Begg, next bullet point. As good an argument can be made for the use of priests, sacrifices, indeed of the whole testament system, as for the use of instrumental music in Christian worship. That's in, uh, on the use of organs within Gerardo's book, Instrumental Music in the Worship of the Church. So again, he's saying, you know, you can make just as good an argument. You want to argue for instruments in worship? If you are going to argue for instruments in worship, then just as good an argue can, argument can be made to still have priests. Just as good an argument can therefore be made that we need to have sacrifices. Just as good an argument means we should really bring back the whole Old Testament system. Now, if we're going to do that, we might as well just go to Roman Catholic Church. Right? Don't forget, they're the ones that brought instruments into worship in the 1200s. First time it happens in New Testament church. Next bullet point. The work of Christ is typified in Old Testament system. Excuse me. Just as much so the work of the Holy Spirit. Now here's what I really want you to recognize. And as I read Gerardo's book, this really opened up my eyes to it. What do the instruments represent? What are they a type of? The Holy Spirit working in our hearts as we are the instruments of his praise as the New Testament temple. The washing with water and the anointing in tabernacle and temple both typified work of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. Lampstands in Zechariah uh, Zechariah 4 and Revelation 11.4, for instance. The work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the New Testament temple also was prophesied in Ezekiel and Jeremiah. See also Joel chapter 2, 28 to 30, also Zechariah 12, 10, used in Acts chapter 2, 1 through 21, especially verse 15. Peter is pointing, as well as to Psalm 16, remember, he points to the prophet Joel a lot that says, in the coming of Christ, the Holy Spirit would enter our hearts in a special way. There'd be a pouring of the Holy Spirit in men and women, boys and girls. And that's what the instruments were pointing to, right? The instruments in the Old Testament temple typified the instruments of our heart in the New Testament today, spirit-filled worship. What does Jesus say he will give us? The Holy Spirit bubbling up living waters in us, right? Now think about an instrument. I mean, I love instruments. I love music. You're around me for a little part of time, you know, that's, I mean, the kids know so many songs that I love to listen to because I love music. We play music. I play guitar. I play piano when I blow the dust off these days, but I used to play them constantly. I used to entertain with Christian music constantly at Christian coffee houses. Hope to get to that again one day. Most of the children play some kind of instrument. Even Gabriel loves to play his harmonica. And um, uh, so what do we love about instruments? There's a happiness usually that they express. It could be sadness, depends on the tone and the song's topic, but there's a, there's a loveliness, and it's pointing to what should be happening in our hearts when we worship. And beloved, we could have a whole huge band or a big organ up here, but if your hearts are not the instruments of God's praise, it makes no difference. Because the whole point was God was going to pour out his Holy Spirit in the coming of Christ and make music on our heart. Now that brings us back to Ephesians 5.19. Turn back there with me, please. 
Ephesians 5.19. So first of all, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Just as we saw, even our text in 2 Chronicles 29, sing the psalms of David and Asaph, right? All those three words are different references to the Psalter in titles and pieces, okay? Um, Now the second part, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Now, that's what we really need to recognize. What is Paul talking about? Notice what he does not say. Does Paul say singing and playing a guitar? Does Paul say singing and playing a piano? Playing an organ? Playing drums? Playing cymbals? He could have. That was all there in the Old Testament. Why didn't he? Because he knows his Old Testament Bible. Remember, he's more trained than anybody. And he understands what's fulfilled in Christ and the coming of the Holy Spirit. He says, make music with what now? How are you going to make music with your heart? What? Well, let's look at this. Making melody in our hearts, literally in the Greek, in Ephesians 5.19, bottom of page 5 here. Yeah. Uh, is Oh, sorry, were you calling me? No. Oh, sorry, okay. <laughs> making melody in our hearts is literally in the Greek to, Greek to pluck or to twang. You know what pluck or twang looks like, guys? Especially the guitar players. And boing, 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 boing. You know, the, even Gabriel and Gideon, they like to get the old little toy guitar. Boing, 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 boing. Pluck or twang. Okay, do you have, this is speaking figuratively, of course, right? I mean, do you guys reach your hand into your hearts and do you have a little hole in there and pluck the sinews or something? No, right? It's figurative, but what it's saying is what the instruments are representing in the Old Testament is the Holy Spirit making music in your heart. I love to worship God. It doesn't matter what's happening. Such as what we just looked at Lord's Day evening. The Lord is what? Worthy to be praised. And David says that when? After he almost died fighting the Philistines and four different giants. One giant left him for dead, thought he killed him says he almost fainted, and his servants said, you can't fight in war with us anymore because we can't afford to lose you. And so in the next chapter, our chapter we had, it said, uh, you are worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from mine enemies. Okay? So playing and the music, making music in the heart because he's worthy to be praised. And nothing can get in the way of our hearts twanging music to the Lord, right? Amen? How many of the Psalms start with sadness, come to the Lord and end in his gladness? But nothing's going to keep my heart from making music to my God. And when Paul and Silas were in prison singing the Psalms at midnight, do you think they were making music? Yes, they were. How? With their hearts. Now, of course, particularly, more literally, with their vocal cords and their tongues and their teeth and their mouth. But of course, we can use these instruments, and if it's not coming from our heart, 1 Corinthians 13 means nothing. Holy Spirit has to be there. In fact, what does Paul say? If you are singing without love in your heart, you're just a clanging cymbal, <laughs> right? Now, I remember when I was in choir in, in college, I, I loved the shirt sweater that my college professor had for choir. I, I don't know that he was really a Christian. Um, we sang a lot of choral music that was Christian because that's what choirs sing from the old times of Bach, right? You know, that kind of stuff. But he had this great sweater that said, the human voice is the greatest instrument of God's praise, something like that. The human voice is the greatest instrument, okay? Now, speaking of our heart, because it has to be true from our hearts, but what we're talking about is real worship is 
twanging the strings of our heart. Literally, Paul says, pluck the strings of your heart. Literally, Paul says, sing the Psalter of the Old Testament as you pluck your heart in praise to God. Remember, we are now the spiritual temple. Back to the notes. 1 Corinthians 3.16 and 6.19. We are the spiritual temple. There's no earthly temple and all the stuff that was in it. Gerardot notes, the instrumental music of the temple worship was typical of the joy and triumph of God's believing people to result from the plentiful effusion of the Holy Ghost in the New Testament times. It pleased God to typify the spiritual joy to spring from a richer possession of the Holy Spirit through the sensuous rapture engendered by the passionate melody of stringed instruments and the clash of cymbals by the blare of trumpets and the ringing of harps. Our hearts should be making more beautiful melody than the instruments can. It's also a challenge for you and me. Are you worshiping God like that? When you're in worship, do you open your mouth, let alone you're twinging the strings of your heart? Or are you just sitting here letting other people do it? Why? You, each one of you, men and women, boy and girl, you are the temple together and you are the instruments of praise now. The Holy Spirit pouring out according to the prophecies when Christ comes. What did he do to his apostles before he left? He breathed his spirit on them. So let us all say the Lord is worthy of my praise. And nothing's going to keep my mouth or my heart from making music to God. And using the words he's given me to offer it up. Isn't that beautiful? You can, you can, you can have a church in a little igloo somewhere up in Alaska, or name some more, I don't know, one of the North, uh, the North, North, Ar- North Ar- Arctic, Antarctic Circle or whatever. Yeah. I'm showing, I don't know what I'm talking about. But you can have a little ice, ice igloo, and you can be in that igloo, couple of people, that's all you got for a church, couple of believers. Well, Jesus says, where two or more are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of you. Now, of course, that's particularly related to government of the church, but still, right? As we gather, that is the temple of God, more than it ever was in Israel, this big mammoth impressive temple. Even the smaller one rebuilt by Herod. Impressive. Nothing. Jesus says it's going away, right? We're getting there in Matthew 23 in our evening reason. He says, I'm going to get rid of the temple. It's going to be gone. Judgment of their unbelief, but also... There's no more purpose for it because I, the reality, have come. And I am spreading my reality of the church, which is the holy temple of the people with the Holy Spirit truly in them, twanging their hearts and singing the psalms through them. And now it can go anywhere. It can be in a hut in Africa, a hot, dusty, hot place in Africa, just a few people, a couple babies crawling around on the dirt. But if they're there worshiping Jesus from their hearts, they do not need to feel dependent to have somebody. Somebody's got to go get us an instrument or we can't worship. No, you are the instruments of God's praise. It limits the church nowhere, you see. now. We don't have to wait. Oh, the worship leader didn't show up. We can't worship. No. By the way, I don't know about you, but I've observed this more since I went through this conversion, as you might say. And you go to churches with a lot of instruments and you'll look around and you'll notice, especially the men, most people are not singing. They are observing the entertainment and letting the priests worship for them in the front. 
I'm not saying that's true for everything, but you look around and watch how much it is. By the other thing, you know what I used to, I couldn't stand, when I got convicted of this, I still went to a conservative Puritan, uh, excuse me, uh, Dutch Reformed Church for a while. And I, I still love them to this day. I, but I couldn't stand the worship. They played the organ so loud. There was a keyboard. <laughs> I couldn't hear my brethren singing. It was drowning out the worship of God's instruments, the hearts of his believers, the real temple. Hey, I know some of us sing better than others. I'm thankful Psalm 100 says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Nonetheless, I'd prefer to hear the true instruments of the Holy Spirit than having to force these things just so we can pretend we can't worship without it. That's the other problem. When you do that, you think there's going to be a lot of family worship in the home, unless you're a musical instrumental family? But your family does not need to worry about whether you interview a place in a message. You open a psalm, you are the instruments, you praise God right now. Oh, it gives me goosebumps. The Holy Spirit right now twings our heart and we make melody to him in praise. Now, of course, we're talking primarily about corporate worship, but this has that bearing in family worship. And again, this is not to say that we can't have our hootenannies. I look forward, we have, we're really good friends with Mr. Harrigan, as you know. We keep talking about trying to get our families together to play instruments. We all love playing instruments. But it's not worship. And, you know, I'm still willing to sing certain quote-unquote worship songs that I think are appropriate for Christian fellowship and enjoyment, but I won't force them into God's house where he has not ordained them. Nor the instruments we love to enjoy for entertainment, but are not to be forced upon God's people and restrict their ability to acknowledge and understand themselves as the instruments of God's worship. I hope this all empowers you you are the instrument of God's praise. Your heart is the tool the Holy Spirit plucks according to the prophecies of when Christ would come. Top of page six. If we do not sing psalms a cappella to God as he wishes us to do with joy, like the playing of instruments, then let us pray for the Holy Spirit to move in us, to worship him with our whole hearts, with more full appreciation of our redemption, fully accomplished by Christ, and fully applied to us by the Holy Spirit, as, typif excuse me, as typified in the Old Testament ceremonial, ceremonial system, now fulfilled and so done away with in the coming of Christ. When we sing without instruments, we are acknowledging Christ has come and the Holy Spirit is working in us now according to the prophecy. We're witnessing to the world wherever he spreads the church. Christ has come. Now I give you some suggested readings here. The one I particularly highlight is Instrumental Worship in the Church by John Lafayette Gerardot, a deceased Presbyterian pastor, was in Atlanta, Georgia, Columbia Seminary, I believe. Now again, I want to remind you, he was commissioned by a Presbyterian uh, member, a wealthy woman. She paid him to write that book to prove that instruments were not used in worship. There's sections on the history of the church that's not scriptural in the New Testament. We ought not to be doing it because at that time, the churches didn't do it according to Protestant history but they were starting to pick up Catholic practices just like they do, a lot of Protestant churches do Lent now. You'll see ashes put on their forehead. And you see lots of Protestant churches doing Christmas and Easter and all kinds of things that are Roman Catholic or frankly point back to the Old Testament ceremonial system that's been fulfilled in Christ. Now that being said, it's a very, very 
thorough scholarly work. I don't discourage reading it. And it's available, by the way, most of these things are on our website you can read. I'm just giving you, I'm trying to give you detail, but a flyover, okay? We have so many articles and different things on our website on uh, duties required, what practice God requires of us. And so you can read a lot of articles and anyone that might be listening to us on Sermon Audio later. By the way, I was encouraged. Exclusive Psalmody is well over 120 listens now in one week. I was surprised. More than a lot of the sermons recently, so there seems to be interest. Uh, Similarly, you can go to our website and read and study all this in great detail. I'm trying to give the gist of it and enough of it. Uh, I don't want to make... Maybe one day we'll do a very long study, but this is not meant to be that. But those resources are there. Public Worship 101, an introduction to the biblical theology of worship... Um, the Elements of Worship, Exclusive Psalmody, and Acapella Psalmody by Dennis Pruto. I have that book in my office. He was my preaching, he is my preaching professor. He no longer is the professor there. But Dennis Pruto, uh, he's an excellent teacher, and uh, that's a good book uh, to consider. He's very thorough, but he's very accessible too. That'd be a good book. Uh, I have a couple of other things you can read there, but I encourage you again to go to our website. I give you the link. You can read a lot there. Now, uh, one thing that I highly encourage you, it was actually an assignment for those taking the class formally, is there's a 10-minute video about a cappella exclusive psalmody worship explaining this Old Testament ceremonial system fulfilled in Christ in the New, the overlap and the changes. Now, uh, that's a 10-minute video past Dr. Jeff Stuyvesen, Jeffrey Stuyvesen, who's been here. As you know, my mentor, I did my internship with him. During my internship, I helped him produce this video. We got a guy that I worked with in seminary. We set it all up. There's a lot of pictures and images of what they did in the Old Testament to help see and understand it. And Dr. Stuyvesant explains this. And I encourage you, if you haven't, to go look at that. But what I'll probably do for your convenience is I'll ask Elder Maxwell to put it up on Facebook, our Facebook page. I'll send you a link, and I'll also email it to you all. I know some of us don't use Facebook. And I really encourage you to watch that as a follow-up quick summary of what we've studied here, okay? Um, I think what I am going to do next week, just because uh, we're trying to be a little extra thorough for what we're putting up on Sermon Audio, before we get into the next chapter uh, on lawful oaths and vows and of the civil magistrate, I'm, I'm going to do a teaching on tithing. Now, I know I'm preaching to the choir for the most part, but we had to, at one point I told you, and I, I see this as the right place to do it uh, related to worship. Um, we had someone really challenge us who was going to come to our church from another country, and then all of a sudden it was like we were talking to somebody else, and this was a big thing for them. We're like, oh no, this is pretty simple. So uh, I'm going to go over something that we put together as a session to answer that from the New Testament. Uh, relying on a lot, where Paul uses a lot of Old Testament stuff, such as don't muzzle the ox, right? But uh, what I want to encourage you, if you're taking the class formally, requirement was to read Will Man Rob God by R.C. Sproul, talking about tithing. And I don't remember, do do you have that in your notes, Fernanda? Did I give that to you yet? No? Okay, so I'll send you guys a link. I'll send everybody a link. Um, They're short. And then the other one is The Christian Privilege and Duty of Tithing by J.J. Lim, Pastor J.J. Lim from Pilgrim Covenant. Oh, you do have it. Okay, you have it, Debbie. Well, let's look and see. I, I, I'm Maybe double-check your notes afterwards. It might be in there later. Abe, do you have it in your notes? Um, yeah, it's right here. Oh, okay. See if you have it after our lesson today. Uh, Will Man Rob God by R.C. Sproul, and then uh, yeah. The Christian Privilege of Tithing. You have it. I, I want to see. Well, uh, 
Uh, well, it wouldn't be numbered because it's, uh, well, it has its own numbers. You know what? You're all part of my family. Let me look at this with you afterwards. And if you don't have it, I'll make sure you get it. Okay, I'll make sure to get you a copy. In fact, what I'll do, let's look at it together. And if you don't, I'll make a photocopy before we leave. Debbie has it. Um, so I'm thinking no, it might. You do have it. Okay, Pro can you help mommy look? Well, I'll look with you afterwards. You, you probably have it. I want to ask you to read those two articles. They're brief about tithing. And then what I'm going to do is go over. I'll give you a handout. And that will be our, our study next week. We'll be going through a handout I'll give you that is teaching, it's our kind of developed part of where Paul talks about this a lot in the New Testament, um, to demonstrate that tithing is not just Old Testament. That was the argument. And what is tithing? It's giving 10% of your income back to God in worship, right? That You've heard lots of sermons on tithing because it comes up in the scripture regularly. It's been a while since we've been at a place like that. Um, but we, because this is talking about membership, even though I know we're kind of preaching to the choir at the moment, uh, I think it'll be good to have that out there for those who may, tithing may be a new idea, and you know, this will be uh, showing from the New Testament that it, that it is there, okay? So I'm going to do another supplement next week to worship on tithing. After that, we're going to pick it up, Lord willing, uh, with chapters 22 and 23 of the Confession on Lawful Oaths and Vows and of the Civil Magistrate. And uh, we should start to make some quick progress there. Hang in there with me. There's lots of really interesting, good stuff to consider. And as we get towards the end, it'll be about end times theology, which is really important to understand and know. So uh, I'll explain to you the different views and what I believe is the correct view. Um, so hang in there. There's a lot of good stuff. We're stretching our brains here, but so that we can do what the scriptures say to study, to show ourselves approved. Okay? Thank you very much for your patience. We started a little early, and I, as I expected, this is a little bit shorter. So what I'm going to do is not decide to blabble on. I'm going to pray and let you go early. Unless you guys object, you want me to find something to do to keep you longer? Yeah? No? Okay. <laughs> okay, I'm getting ready to duck the tomatoes. No, <laughs> no you're always very supporting, but I'm, I'm glad to let you out early. And thanks again for being here. And uh, beloved, may we truly, at the finish of this part of the study, May we truly love to sing what the Lord has written to worship him with. And may we indeed, may the Lord, may the Holy Spirit pluck our hearts in praising him according to the prophecy. May we be blessed to know that God has made us the temple and the instruments of his praise. And that is not just old, but young. Remember what Jesus says in Matthew 21, quoting Psalm 8, verse 2. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, thou hast perfected praise. Let us pray. O oh Lord in heaven, we do thank you for this study, and we pray indeed that you bless us to be praising you truly, for you are worthy of our praise, and so shall we be saved from our enemies. Lord, let us be worshiping you everywhere all the time, but especially as we assemble as your saints for Sabbath worship morning and evening, as your temple, just as the temple had a morning and evening sacrifice of praise, although we do not offer animals anymore. And we do not offer incense and we do not have priests and priestly vestments because Christ is our high priest with a priesthood after the order of Melchizedek. An unceasing priesthood, it is finished. We are saved. And we pray indeed that you make a beautiful melody on our hearts through our mouths to encourage one another that we are the temple and the instruments of God and the body of Christ. It is simpler, but it is more spiritual and it is more real and true. For those things in the Old Testament were types and shadows of the reality of the coming of Christ and the Holy Spirit to us. 
and in us and through us. We do offer up our praise to you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.